podcast has bad words. <laughs> Howdy, patrons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast here on Patreon. This is a podcast that welcomes anyone, but it ain't for everyone. <laughs> Ryan, today we're going to talk about relationship clutter, and we're going to answer a bunch of surprise questions that Podcast Sean has carefully curated for us. But first, let's read some more about less. Let's so do it. We're talking about people. That's what we do. We're talking about people. That's right. We're not doing it behind their backs. We're talking about people in general. Yeah. This is an excerpt from Love People Use Things. Our new book comes out July 13th. If you want to pre-order it, lovepeopleusethings.net. And guess what? We're going to read it to you even. Yeah. Ryan and I have recorded the audio book. In fact, I still have about two days left of my parts. But Ryan has gone through and recorded all of his parts mm. and... Uh, podcast Sean and I have sat down and recorded uh, all of the parts. We worked with an audio director, and uh, she constantly would, you know, all right, here, redo that sentence. She was redo- great to work oh, with. Oh, she's awesome. Kimberly was her name. Yeah. Uh, she was amazing and made the audiobook appreciably better. And so we're going to read the whole thing to you, but mm-hmm. I'm going to read a little bit to you right now. Yeah, and I want to clarify, you know, we, yes, we're talking about people, but we are people. And really we're talking about ourselves. People are people too. Yeah, people are people too. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the uh, episode title podcast, Sean? <laughs> people are people. <laughs> All right. This is, so the for some context, Ryan, uh just so folks know, this book has a 10 chapters total. There is a a pre- preface with um it's like this it's a short three to five page preface at the beginning, sort of setting up where we are in the world. Then there's an introduction chapter that will be familiar to a lot of folks who are longtime listeners of The Minimalists or longtime readers. It's sort of summarizing The Minimalists for folks who are uninitiated, you know, brand new people who just pick up the book and say, who the heck are The Minimalists? Mm. That introduction chapter will walk you through Ryan's and my story. But then also what we did in that chapter, because we didn't want it to be all regurgitated material we talked about some things that we don't typically talk about even on this podcast although sometimes we'll talk about it on the private podcast but ryan talked he goes into depth into uh, drug and alcohol abuse and i go into depth on quite a few things that i thought you said that wasn't going into the book (laughs) Uh (laughs) uh-oh just bleep it out sean (laughs) replace it with like ponies and right yeah and rainbows anyway and then what we after though that introduction we go into the seven essential relationships in our lives so it's a relationship book but it's not just our relationship with people in fact that's the very last relationship Mm. what ryan and i realized and we talk about this in the epilogue at the end of the book is like when we first started conceiving the book it was like well hey what is the one thing that has changed significantly for us over the last decade since being minimalist and it's certainly been our relationships with people and so well why is that well because we corrected the issues the problems we identified the problems we had with these other six other relationships in our life so our relationship with stuff it started there and then our relationship with the truth Mm -hmm. relationship with self money values creativity and then our relationship with people Mm. and so this is an excerpt from the uh, relationship seven people you can't change the people around you but you can change the people around you If I could travel back in time and give one piece of advice to my young self, I would hand him a piece of paper with that sentence written on it. We understand the indispensable role of other human beings when we are children. Our mothers feed us, our fathers take care of us, our siblings teach us, our friends interact with us, our families love us. 
But with each year that passes, new desires and pursuits build barricades between us and the people in our lives. Let's face it, we started social distancing way before the pandemic of 2020. By puberty, we begin to covet cars and clothes and contraband, inching us away from our companions and relatives. In our 20s, we enlist in careers that create yet more distance, working hard to avoid the hard work of living well. And as we grow older, we accumulate accoutrements and artifacts, isolating ourselves with more square footage. We fill our homes with stuff, but we only feel empty amid the clutter. To fill the self-constructed holes in our Swiss cheese hearts, we lust for exciting new relationships that may not share our personal values, surrounding ourselves with people who bring out the worst in us. Before we know it, we're all grown up, but we haven't matured much. Puzzled, we look around by age 30 or 40 or 50 or older and wonder why we've encircled ourselves with the possessions and people that pontillate our vacuous lives. If we want to escape this quagmire, we must honestly assess the relationships we've established, including the toxic ones. Hence, the opening line of this chapter. Too often, we try to change people, attempting to mold them into someone else, someone they aren't, someone who fits our ideal version of a friend, lover, or family member, instead of seeking out new, empowering, supportive relationships that encourage us to grow and thrive and be the best version of ourselves. Mm. Naturally, this tension leads to quarrels that leave little room for compassion and affection, let alone prosperity. In time, toxicity permeates the entire relationship and the tiny spats and passive aggressive behavior mount until one day after one too many unnecessary escalations we've had enough of the toxic relationship and then we say or do something we can't take back it's no coincidence that many romantic relationships end with the intensity of war angry words turn into shouting which turns into punched walls and objects hurled across the room. The acute reader will notice that each of this book's relationship chapters began with the word I. That is, until this chapter, which began emphatically with you. This decision was deliberate. We wanted the book's format to mimic our own lives. You see, we'd planned on writing a relationship book but we realize that the things that screw up our interpersonal relationships are usually the internal relationships we must fix within ourselves. Before we can focus on cultivating meaningful relationships with others, we must first resolve our own issues. Mm. Last paragraph here. That's not an excuse to treat people poorly until you've mastered the six internal relationships in your life. On the contrary, Minimalism allows us to deal with the excess stuff so we can sort through the excess baggage in our heads and hearts. As we improve our relationships with truth, with ourself, with our values and money and creativity, we begin to form the best version of ourselves, which creates the groundwork for improving our relationship with others. If we do this, if we don't if, if, we, if we don't do this, if we don't work to improve ourselves, we're inadvertently punishing the people around us by not living up to our potential. Mm. 
there was a lot to discuss there. Yeah. Uh, but I think one thing that is two things that are worth noting, the, the change part, like the changing other people doesn't work. Right. And in fact, it is toxic behavior. Yeah. And we don't even realize it because, well, everything would be perfect if I could make them behave exactly like me. Yeah. But what you're doing in that instance, even if you could do that, if I could change you, I'm exerting power over you. Mm. And in doing that, I'm taking away your freedom. Is it loving to take away someone's freedom? No. Yeah. Man, I, I can't tell you how many relationships, especially romantic ones I got into, knowing that it wasn't a great relationship to start off with, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I, d- I didn't think I was going to change them. It wasn't that. It was more like, oh, uh, this person will eventually change, though. Right. Like th- this person will Magically. come. Yeah, this person will come to an understanding that <laughs> their behaviors, their actions, their thoughts um, aren't supportive or respectful or whatever it is. They're going to realize that on their own, and then eventually they're going to become a, a a better person. Yes. And if you need that to happen. You're setting yourself up for discontent. Yeah. Now, they might change, yeah. and it may have nothing to do with you, or it may have to do that you've helped them grow by contributing to them. Mm-hmm. C- contribution is different from trying to change someone. Mm-hmm. Giving is simply giving without the expectation of change, manipulation, anything else. Giving is inspired by love, yeah. right? It is not part of love. You don't have to give in order to love someone. You can love someone without giving, but quite often when you love someone, you want nothing more than to contribute to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so what's fascinating about what you're saying, Ryan, with the, the relationships you've had, it, trying to change someone is in a way this, this aggressive, violent act of, hmm. of manipulation. Yeah. And we don't even realize it. I never looked at it that way. You know what's crazy too is like the usually the opposite would happen. Where like oh wow, however that person is, they just see deeper <laughs> into whoever they are. Uh huh. So you know, not only do they not change, but they're rooted in yes. their existing behaviors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In fact, and quite often, even if they are so-called toxic behaviors or negative behavior, whatever, bad habits, whatever you want to call these things, right? Whatever label we're going to slap onto it. Mm -hmm. Quite often they'll do those things out of spite because we hate being wrong. We all Mm -hmm. want to be right. And if you're trying to change me, what that does is it puts you on a pedestal. So what, what I'm doing is right. And so my natural reaction to that, if I'm not fully aware of the world around me, is no, 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 I'm right. Mm. So I built a bigger pedestal and now I'm up here with my bad habits and negative behaviors or whatever. And then you're like, well, no, I'm right. And it's just this sort of cold war of pedestal building. No, I'm more right than you. And then of course, what happens? The relationship devolves into rage and anger and shouting and fighting. And Mm. there's no love in that at all. That Mm. is not loving. That is the opposite of love. That is, that is an attachment to the way you want someone to be. Yeah. And if you and I are attached to the way we want someone to be, we are always going to suffer. Mm. Ryan, do you have any examples of any relationships that you have decluttered yeah. in the past decade or two? Oh, yeah, the past decade for sure. I mean, you know, when I started to 
um, sober up and stop taking narcotics. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of people in my life who, well, A, I realized like, oh, like we only hang out to do drugs together. Right. Like that's pretty much you know, 80% of our activities. Wow. And then there's 20% of, you know, whatever else. Uh, the rest of it was driving to get drugs. Right, exactly. <laughs> but then also I noticed there were people in my life who, they were very toxic. And, you know, when you get when you get sober, you start to realize like, oh, like I can only tolerate this person because I had a little bit of a buzz going on. Oh. So like I yeah I certainly had a yeah I had a romantic partner partner at the time that um yeah when I sobered up I just very kindly and like tried to really set boundaries and show respect and support and really went out of my way to strengthen the relationship um but they did nothing in return and at, when I was uh you know if I didn't if if I wasn't high I couldn't put up <laughs> with their with their uh, actions and with their behaviors. Right. And it just got to a point where I was like, yeah, you know what? Like I'm, I'm spent, like I'm not, I'm not giving any more to this relationship. Um, I don't know what else to say. Um, as far as friendships go, there are certainly people I've like distanced myself from, uh, mainly because our values just don't align so much, but I, I'm trying to think of something like, uh, where, where I head on was like, Hey, we have to stop hanging out. I don't think I've actually had to do that. What usually happens is I start to adjust where my attention and where my time is focused. And if I stop giving certain people, I realize when I stop giving certain people time and attention, those relationships just kind of fizzled out. Yes. But I haven't, I've not had anyone come to me and be like, Hey, I noticed we're not hanging out anymore. Like what's going on? Or Uh do you not like me? Or, you know, well, that's the thing with decluttering relationships, right? It's hmm. it, when we're talking about letting go, mm-hmm. there, there's sort of two types of decluttering. One is is getting rid of an object, mm-hmm. right? Or mm-hmm. a relationship actively. Mm. But that isn't what we're talking about when you and I are talking about letting go. When we're talking about letting go, it's when you stop doing something. Letting go isn't something you do. It's mm-hmm. something you stop doing it. It has nothing to do with the volition, but it has to do with the the simply dropping of it. And so sometimes when we mm-hmm. declutter a relationship, it doesn't require a formal process. The same thing is true with our stuff. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with our things, we, we can go home, throw all of our stuff in the back in our trunk, you know, fill up our entire trunk with stuff, yeah. drop it off at the goodwill tonight, and then be miserable because we let go of it physically but we didn't let go of it emotionally yeah and so we're still clinging to it emotionally to let go of the stuff what we really have to do is drop it meaning letting go of something we stopped we have to stop clinging Mm. and the same is true with our relationships once we stop clinging to the relationship the 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 romantic relationship that you mentioned ryan what i heard from you there is is that distance that you that you created that sort of that letting go mm-hmm. you you stopped holding on to the expectation that it was going to be different right and in doing that 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 gave you the space that you needed to then create some boundaries mm-hmm. and if someone tramples all of your boundaries that isn't loving either and you realize that oh if someone ke- if i keep erecting a a boundary mm-hmm. that by the way has a nice door and i'll invite you into my boundaries but if you're knocking the walls of uh, of my house down, then I, I, I'm going to have to 
get you out. I, I can't continue this relationship. Yeah, I'm gonna have to create some distance. Right. What, what about you, man? What have what relationships, friendships, you've decluttered? Yeah, it, I can think of some rom- romantic partners you also had that, um, it kind of got to a toxic point. Yeah, there was one about 11, 12 years ago. There was a, a, a toxic relationship there. Um, that was that one was also a uh, there was never even a formal breakup per se it mm. was it was a, a letting go of the person I, because in a way the letting go happened before the the breakup happened mm. because it was setting up these these new expectations uh, mm. that hey I'm not going to be the person that you need mm-hmm. uh, that you I'm sorry that you want mm-hmm. I'm going to be the person that I want and and yeah. It's not up to me to fulfill a role for you to be the person you want me to be at the sacrifice, the detriment of my own values. Ooh, that's something, man, I think a lot of people could benefit from asking themselves that question of, am I being the person I'm being for me or am I being it for someone else? Right. Because if you're being it for someone else, that can last only so long. Yeah, and it's going to make you miserable. Mm -hmm. And so... No one in the world has the power to make you miserable. Mm. I want you to think about that for a moment. It's absolutely true. Now, unless they're being physically violent towards you, that's a different sure. thing. But mm. we're going to take that off the table. And Are you that's challenging not, me? That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, yes, in a way. Um, because here's the thing. What I'm really doing is I'm challenging myself. Mm. What I'm saying is you don't have the power to make me miserable. I have the power to make me miserable. Mm. And so if some behavior, I remember when we were on tour, I used to always get driven crazy because you'd pick your nails Mm. it wasn't your fault Mm. that's my fault Mm. that's my problem it's not your problem and and so because the world goes on the the car that we were driving in wasn't upset you were picking your nails right Mm. the birds who were flying overhead weren't upset that you were picking at your nails i remember you bought me gloves (laughs) to put on over i thought i was trying to help and and well and i did ask for a little bit of help but i'll never forget i had this blue latex gloves and like i was putting them on and I was in the passenger seat and I was like holding them up and I look over and this woman has like her jaw <laughs> hitting the ground. Like what is going on in that car? <laughs> like, why is he, is he getting ready to murder that guy? <laughs> yeah. And well, the thing about that, is, and this is why I talk about how, you know, it, advice to anyone other than yourself is, is, futile because it puts me uh, what i was doing and i apologize for this i was putting myself on the pedestal for, you're forgiven thank you um <laughs> because that was that was and that was you that, were forgiven uh, back when you first <laughs> would get annoyed at me and that was inappropriate and, and what i'm really trying to illustrate here is you don't have the power to make me upset you also mm. don't have the power to make me happy mm. uh, i have that power now i can enjoy your company which i do mm. but if i've let go of the attachment to the positive emotions or the getting rid of the negative emotions mm. and simply say well i enjoy your company i enjoy doing these podcasts with you i enjoy when we you know, go spend time together and have brunch on the weekend or whatever like i enjoy that but i don't need you to make me happy you can't make me happy you also can't piss me off by the way you can't have one without the other right you can't say well yeah my partner really makes me happy but then they don't ever make me upset either it's like well no if we rely on them for one we are by default relying on them for all the emotions which there is a whole continuum of emotion and by the way it's not wrong i'm not saying you shouldn't do that i'm simply saying that if we 
if we lean on our partners for happiness, we're also leaning on them for our discontent. Yeah. Well, there's something about, you know, uh, it's easier to live a meaningful life when you have high standards and low expectations. And what you're talking yes. about are these expectations that we throw on to uh, people in, in different relationships, romantic r- relationships, friendships, uh, yeah, a work type situation mm-hmm. relationship. Um, yeah, the less you can have expectations, but still keep high standards. Right. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be a lot more. You're gonna get closer to tran- tranquility that way. Agreed. Yeah, because yeah, expectations always disrupt our tranquility. Yeah. Right. A standard is a little bit different. So one way to look at standards versus expectations. There are a few different ways to look at it, and we talk about it and love people use things. But one of the ways to look at it is if. I expect Ryan to do these seven different things for the podcast, Mm. and then he does only six of them while we're recording. Well, now, all of a sudden, I'm going to be discontented, right? Because I had an expectation. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm expecting external people or external things to make me happy or make me upset. My standards are about the effort that I put in in the moment, right? It's about me, not about you. Mm -hmm. It's about what I control, controlling the controllables. You know, the serenity prayer actually has to do with standards. Give me the strength to accept the things I cannot change and change the things I can. Well, what are the things I can change? It all is internal. It's all about me. It's all about my worldview. Mm. And I can change that. And most of that has to do with subtraction. So we're talking about decluttering friendships or relationships. Mm. It's almost always a reprioritization of relationships. And that's one way to declutter it. When you declutter your stuff, you don't get rid of everything. Mm. In fact, I said, well, you know what? I've decided to clutter my clothes. I'm just going to get rid of all my clothes. Well, then you're <laughs> naked, right? Right. And, and so that's not what you do. You go in there and you say, well, no, I'm still going to keep some of my clothes. I'm just going to have fewer clothes. Mm. And I'm going to have fewer time with certain relationships. That's how I declutter. It doesn't mean I've removed the relationship from my life completely. It's I've reprioritized. And some people who are in my secondary tier are now are in the tertiary or peripheral tier. And I've reallocated my time accordingly. Yeah. Uh, one other relationship that is a good example of that is my first marriage. Mm. I write about my marriage with Carrie and love people use things. And I think I say there were four questions I wish I would have asked at the be- beginning of our relationship. In fact, had I done that, I don't think we would have ever gotten married in the first place. I think uh, it's amazing how your relationship is better now. Isn't that <laughs> when funny? You were married, yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because yeah. Bex on her podcast, uh, How to Love, she, she and I were having this conversation. I was talking to her about one of the things that really was attractive about me to her is that I still have, with the exception of of one or two lovers in the past, I have phenomenal relationships with all of my previous lovers. So, it, and it's interesting because it's all it's all the previous lovers. After post marriage, post marriage, yeah, and including marriage, right? Yeah, and including, and including marriage, that yeah. that first marriage. And so, what I realized is like, oh, like it's possible to change the dynamics of this relationship. It's no longer a intimate physical relationship, mm. but we're still friends, or we still keep in contact. We still love each other, mm. and it's okay. It's okay to still love someone you used to have sex with. Yeah. It's not wrong 
to do that. That's a, a, a cultural narrative that we've been sold, and it's BS. In fact, it's impossible to actually be loving to someone, to love them, and then all of a sudden you stop loving them because of one thing that they did. Yeah. That's not how love works. You know, the, the, the analogy that Anthony DeMello often talks about is like a tree provides shade to anyone. It's not discriminate. It doesn't discriminate. Mm. E- it even provides shade to the person who seeks to cut it down. Mm. That is love. Yeah. And I love that. And, and by the way, so when most of us are talking about love, we're really talking about like, or we're talking about desire Mm -hmm. and nothing wrong with liking someone, Mm -hmm. but don't mistake your like for someone for love. Mm. Love is, is, is transcendent. It's not contingent upon someone else's behaviors. We've got some surprise questions here, Ryan. You want to start with Stephanie's? Yes. How can you declutter family relationships? That's, that might be one of the toughest relationships to try and declutter because you know family um you you can't choose who your family is and those are the people who are you know uh, proximity wise are closest to you especially if you have a family that gets together a lot like you're always going to be around family members uh, and that type of situation um for me i think about uh when i first started just kind of, it wasn't, I didn't have any demands as much as just kind of setting up boundaries yes. with different family members. And I've talked about this before with a family member who, um, well, I was listening to this particular family member and another family family member having a, a conversation and a family, but one a family member said to the other, I'm so glad that we're related because no matter what I do, you have to love me. <laughs> and it and it and it hit me that a lot of my family members they don't use family to strengthen the bond or to strengthen the love they use it as a tether yeah as a tether they use it as like leverage to be like i can treat you however i want right because you have to love me right and, and, and maybe i do maybe i do choose to love you and, but you're mistaking love with support or Mm. encouragement or like or spending i can love you from a distance i can love you and never see you again Mm -hmm. but i can still love you and so in a weird way that family member was right Mm. in the sense that yeah i will continue to love you but that doesn't mean i'll continue to support you i'll continue to uh, tolerate your bad behavior right so i'm not going to continue that because I don't have to. I, I don't have to do that in order to love you. You're mm. misunderstanding love. You mm. think that love means uh, a check mark on the board. You think mm. that love is a trophy or an achievement or an obligation. No, 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 no. Mm. Those things are fine. By the way, love can compel me to do any of those things. Yeah. But I, you can't force me to just because we're family members. Right. So this family member... Um, you know, basically was talking about, you know, why don't we, why don't we, uh, stay more in touch? You know, why don't we, you know, why, uh, why don't we see each other more often? You know, you don't go out of your way to hang out with me. And and I really just made this statement of like, you know, to be honest, I have friends who treat me better than you treat me. 
And they were like, well, you know, that's that's kind of BS because we're family and family is a strong bond. And, you know, family, uh, you're supposed to be closer to your family than anyone else. I said, right. I was like, so w- wouldn't you assume that family would treat, that my family would treat me better than the way my friends treat me instead of using it as this obligatory love? Yes. And like the light bulb that went off in this family member's head was like it really... And I'll tell you what, from that conversation on, uh-huh. they have never acted the way that, I mean, it really changed the way that they treated me. And what's fascinating about that is you didn't try to change him. No. And in, in, in a way, you weren't even convincing him. What you were simply doing is you were stating a truth mm-hmm. because you, you, you knew you weren't going to go, I'm going to change you or change your mind, mm-hmm. but you simply stated a truth and that that provided that floodlight of awareness yeah. that we were talking about. In fact, back to the romantic relationship that became toxic for you, what you had there is all of a sudden, off of the drugs, you had this floodlight of awareness mm. that, yes. that th- constantly your attention, your attention um, w- in that relationship because uh, you were forced to pay attention to these things that were making you miserable. Yeah. And of course, that's going to create tension in your body, in your mind, in your relationship, in your life. But as soon as that floodlight of awareness, you sort of feel that tension drop in a way. Now, when that tension drops, you realize like, oh, I have to create some distance between me and this uh, family member, basically. She was basically your family, right? And and so in a weird way, I'll give you a pithy answer. Choose your family wisely. (laughs) And what I mean by that is just because you share DNA with someone doesn't mean you have to share time with someone. Tweet that podcast, Sean. Boom. And and what I'm really saying there is you're – you have no obligations. Uh, we did a whole, it's one of my favorite podcast episodes we did. Go back and listen to the obligations podcast that we did and realize that all of our obligations are self-inflicted obligations. Yeah. And that includes our obligation to our family. And maybe even, you know, of course, we're going to have certain responsibilities. If we birth a child, we're going to have an obligation for that child's safety. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about any other adults in our life, you mm-hmm. know, post-pubescent people in our life, yeah. the obligations are all. The baggage that we're carrying, we get to decide what's in that baggage. Totally. And so how do you declutter your family relationships? It's not about getting rid of the person. It's about getting rid of the obligations, letting go, stop clinging mm. to the expectations that have been thrust upon you either by them or that you've invented on your own. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've observed um, with my stepdad is he is a very angry, anytime he feels like a family member is disrespecting him, I mean, he just, he, he becomes a, an evil person that, I mean, I just, I've never seen anyone act as evil as this mm. man. But what's interesting is that when he's out and about with people, he comes across as kind of a nice guy. Okay. And there are, like my my mom's mom, he can have a conversation with her and never, that evil will never come out. Mm. But it's only with the people that he's closest to is where that evil comes out. And I don't know what that is about. A piece of me looks at it and thinks, well, 
if he's evil to you, he actually really loves you mm. because he has this love, which for some reason he attaches an expectation to like, oh, I love you. So therefore you should love me. And if we love each other, we will respect one another. And if he gets, if someone disrespects him, well now his feelings are hurt and then the evil comes out. Yes. So, so, but that's obviously not love. No, uh, obviously not. But right. And so what he's doing is he's conflating that. I, in fact, there's a section in, in love people use things where I talk about it's, it's odd, but the people that we are, we behave the worst to are the people who are closest to us quite yeah. often. Why is that? Well, uh, part of that has to do, there's, there are several studies it's on like this. comfort thing with it, I guess. That part of it has to do with comfort, but part mm-hmm. of it also has to do with those are the people that we've assigned the ability to change our own mood. Yeah. It's my fault anytime I do that. So if I have given you, if I've given you the power, I've, I've, re- I've given away my, my freedom basically because I'm giving you the power to make me mad, angry, upset, sad. Mm. If I've given you the power to make me sad, mm-hmm. that's on me. But then when you make me sad, I lash out at you because I gave you that power. Mm. When, who's the person mm. that I need to have be frustrated with? Myself for giving away my own freedom. Right. Giving you that power. Yeah. Which actually brings us perfectly into Jessica's question. How do you know when you are truly appreciated by your friends? Jessica, who told you that you should be appreciated by your friends? Who told you that you need to be appreciated by your friends? Mm. My, my, my short answer is, I yeah, I understand the desire to be appreciated. Instead of needing to be appreciated, though, I think it's better to appreciate others. Absolutely. I was just thinking that. I'm like, rather than have the expectation of how others should treat you. You should raise your standards on how you treat others. Right. Because when we do that, when we are able to appreciate others, so Ryan and I have this acronym, Tara, T-A-R-A. This is how you understand someone. You go through tolerance, then you go through acceptance, respect, and eventually you're able to appreciate them. Now, what does appreciation not involve? It does not involve changing something. Mm. When I go to the museum, Ryan, and I appreciate the Picasso painting on the wall, I don't like bring my paintbrush and be like, you know, I really appreciate this, but it would be better if I did this, this. No, of course not. Mm. I'd be arrested for that <laughs> violent act of destroying the painting. And yet mm. I want to destroy everyone around me by changing them. Mm. And it's way worse to try to change a person than it is a painting. Yeah. And so, no, you won't ever truly know if someone appreciates you, but you don't need to know. You don't need their appreciation that way. Because what you're saying is exactly what we were saying a moment ago. If you're giving them the power to make you upset because they don't appreciate you, you've now relinquished your freedom. Your happiness, your contentment is contingent upon whether or not Ryan appreciates you. Mm. Because the moment he stops appreciating me, now I'm supposed to feel what? angry, sad, disappointed in myself, whatever. I don't want to outsource my contentment. Yeah, I totally agree. It's interesting too, because for me, it's a feeling of, and I don't know, I I can't think of a, you know, a mathematical formula. Well, if they call you this many times in a week, or if they write you a letter, if they send you a text, I mean, it's more of a feeling of... It's poetry, not math. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I love that. It's like, are we in this together? Or is it just me who's in this? Right. And what's cool about that is you don't need it. 
and, and recognizing you don't need it, then when you are appreciated and you recognize that appreciation, you see the poetry, mm. you're able to enjoy the appreciation instead of needing it. Yeah. As soon as you need it, mm-hmm. it's really hard to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Terry, Absolutely. Terry has a question for us. Doesn't or shouldn't every relationship have an expiration date? It seems all relationships are temporary, although like shoes, some have more useful durability. <laughs> a few few things hmm. that pop up here, right? So shouldn't every relationship have an expiration date? Well, of course there are no shoulds, but let's just take that part out of the question and mm. say, doesn't every relationship have an expiration date? Yeah, of course, we all die. Right. And so every relationship is going to expire. What's the, there's this Louis C.K. joke. Um, we're allowed to talk about him now. It's enough time has passed, right? I guess, yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, <laughs> regardless of his personal life, I separate the art from the person, right. uh, just like I do with Picasso or David Foster Wallace or whomever, or right? Kanye West. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, and and so I I recognize that he has this hilarious joke, even if I, I you know, he's a person of, of questionable um, integrity. Mm. Anyway, uh, he has this joke about um, when someone you know, dies and and like. Um, they're like, oh, yeah, say an old couple dies. They're both in their 70s or whatever. One of them, uh, the husband dies, and uh, he's up in heaven sort of enjoying himself for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then his wife dies, and, and like all of a sudden, like you know, St. Peter comes up and says, uh, hey, uh, your wife's here. She's, uh, she, he's like, what? Well, yeah, she, she died, and you know, she, you're going to spend the rest of eternity with her. He's like, no, 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 no. We, we agreed until death do us part. <laughs> and you're not going to ruin my heaven oh, in perpetuity. Now, yeah. of course, yeah, there, there are some problems with that because if sure. you're in a relationship that is ruining your life. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will say that most relationships will cause more pain in your life than pleasure. Almost all relationships cause more pain. Hmm. And so choose those relationships carefully. Now, I, yeah, I, I disagree with that. But Well, in, in your life, it, it's true because you, you've, you've curated. But think back to your entire life. So think of your first oh, 30 years, sure. not just your last 10 years. Yeah. And most of the relationships there caused more, when I say pain, it can be frustration. It can yeah. be you know, uh, annoyance. It can be all of these things. Well, I think I was, you know, I used to look for acceptance. And I, and I, I mean, everyone wants to be accepted and be significant. But I think I really relied on, you know, going back to that question of how do you know when a friend truly appreciates you? I was, tr- I was constantly looking for my friends to appreciate me and mm-hmm. to whatever that is. Where now I focus on, um, I focus on giving as much as I can. Yes. So, so yeah, if you... If you are relying on that validation, then it's absolutely going to bring you more misery than tranquility. And that's why I say most of the time, because for most people in society, our relationships are making us miserable Mm. because quite often we don't know our own values. We don't know the values of the people around us. Many of our relationships are birthed out of proximity, meaning their neighbors or coworkers. And we find these relationships and then we immediately say, well, my significance is in their appraisal and their approval Mm. and and their acceptance of me. And if they don't accept me, then I am insignificant. Mm. Well, or you can just choose to not outsource that significance to Mm. other people. It's it's up to you. But let me talk about the shoes real quick. Yeah, about the expiration date. That's interesting. Because, I mean, relationships do get to a certain point where, yeah, it might be time for it to end. But I don't think that should be a predetermined expiration. It would be nice to know, like, okay, 
you're really going to want to hold on to this relationship. And, you know, on December 7th, 2021, you're really going to want to hold on to this relationship, but that's really the time to let it go. I mean, I guess yeah. to have some information, but, but to actually set an expiration date, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it should be pre-planned. Right, but it's not that it shouldn't either. And, and here's why I say that. When we think of our good friend Colin Wright. One of my favorite, actually not one of my favorite, my favorite relationship book is a book called Some Thoughts About Relationships. Mm. I liked it so much I wrote the foreword to it. Yeah. Um, now, in, in his life, mm-hmm. he, for the longest time, was a peripatetic writer. I mean, he traveled to a new country every four months. He didn't even pick the country he was going to. His readers on his blog, exilelifestyle.com, they would go on there and vote what country he was going to, right? Mm-hmm. And so when he arrived, he knew he had a four-month period in that country. Yeah. But he immersed himself in the culture. Yeah, he had like a legitimate expiration Exactly. Date. Yeah. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't keep up with the people. So when he moved to India or he moved to Iceland mm-hmm. or he moved to Wichita, Kansas, <laughs> he still has friendships from those periods. Yeah. But the relationship as it is constituted during those four months mm-hmm. is going to change uh, inevitably after mm. those four months. Yeah. And so what I like about what he did with that is anytime he got into a relationship, like an intimate relationship with someone there, y- the expectation was up front. Like, Hey, I'm not going to be here in four months. So if that is a problem with you, I don't want to, there's obviously no coercion here, Yeah. And, but if you're interested in being in a, in a romantic relationship and I'm interested in it as well, we can do this for as long as we want, as long mm. as we both feel empowered by this. But the longest it's going to be is four months. It could be shorter than that as well Mm -hmm. because he did full-on cultural immersion. He wasn't staying at the Hampton Inn Mm -hmm. in Calcutta. He was renting an apartment, meeting the locals, and and, and really immersing himself in the culture, in the language of a place, knowing it was sort of like kindergarten versus grad school, right? Right. And so kindergarten for him was like, okay, I don't – like literally – a five-year-old on the street corner in Calcutta is so much smarter than Colin, who is a genius-level IQ mm. person, but that five-year-old is culturally smarter than him in that context. Right. And and so he'd have to meet these new people, and so there would be an expiration date on those relationships. And in fact, he even did that again with uh, or before he started traveling. Mm. The thing that inspired your packing party, which is in our documentary lessons now, mm-hmm. was Colin. He had a breakup party. He and his girlfriend, Andy, they were living together in Los Angeles. And uh, they decided, all right, you know what? Colin wanted to travel a lot. She wanted to move to Seattle. And it was like, you know, it just, this relationship has been great. It's time for us to graduate from this. And so they set an end date to their relationship. And it Mm -hmm. was about two months out. And so they had an expiration date at the end of it was their his longest romantic relationship up to that point. Yeah. And he set an end date and they had a breakup party, They brought all their friends over. So it was a party instead of being the sad thing. And at midnight, they changed their relationship status on Facebook. That's because, how you make it official. Right. That, that's exactly <laughs> that's how you make it official. Right. And then that's when the relationship expired. Now, it wasn't that they no longer kept in contact. They did. Mm. It was that portion of their relationship. It was that chapter. It was the end of the chapter. So these expiration dates are really just markers in your book of life. Mm-hmm. And it's a chapter for that relationship. I talked earlier about how I'm still really great friends with a lot of former lovers mm-hmm. of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a chapter in our life. But it doesn't mean that, okay, now they're no longer in my life anymore. No, it means you went in that direction you, you and I went in this direction. But 
we still have contact and occasionally our our paths intersect or interweave with each other. Mm-hmm. We spend time together for in the same sitter. We talk over the phone and that's totally fine. It's a new chapter instead of just the entire relationship expiring or sometimes relationships do expire. Someone does something that's so egregious mm-hmm. that you can still love them, but you love them from a distance. Yeah. Or maybe your geography changes and you literally are loving them from a distance. Yes. <laughs> great point. All right. Uh, Kimberly's got a question here. How do you accept losing and moving on from a meaningful relationship? So it's, it's one of those questions where I need, I kind of need more information. Like, are we talking about a breakup or a death? A death. Are we talking about maybe someone came to Kimberly and said, you know, Hey, I really have enjoyed our time together, but, um, I've, you know, maybe Kimberly was having distance created between her and and someone else that she really looked up to. Right. So, um, yeah, I feel like need a little bit more information, but ultimately what I'll, you know, what comes to mind for this is time, time heals all it really does. Mm. And if you focus on the opportunity you had, rather than what you lost, it's so much easier to get through that, that pain or that disconnect. It makes me think about, there was a summer in Missoula, Montana. It was like the perfect summer of 2013. Um, it was like the best summer I've ever had in my life. I was like 32 years old, had the best summer of my life. Yeah. And I remember there was this girl who I was dating and just, you know, really, really loved the relationship that we had going and the time we were spending together. But like at the end of the day, like I knew that it wasn't going to last. I knew that like she was going to move on, Mm -hmm. you know, she's a man eater. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? It's funny because when it ended and I knew it was going to end instead of me being like, Oh no, look what I've lost Mm. and poor me. And I'm never going to get that again or, you know, whatever it is. Instead, I looked at it and I was like, man, how lucky was I for two weeks (laughs) to have this amazing like fire relationship and better to have ended on, you know, a high note rather than, uh, it, you know, us getting divorced in a sense. What I love about that is you're celebrating the relationship instead of mourning it. Yes, absolutely. And, and what's beautiful about it, and it's not that mourning a relationship is wrong mm-hmm. or bad or incorrect and that celebrating is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. What it helped you do was place it in perspective that yeah. yes, all relationships on a long enough timeline, all relationships end. Mm-hmm. This one was amazing. And by the way, if you, it, because you said you what you call a fiery relationship, mm. it, you, a fire is unsustainable long term, yeah, right? Yeah. And so there was a lot of chemistry there. And love people use things we talk about the three things that make relationships thrive. One is chemistry, right? Mm. Uh, then there's compatibility. Yeah. Uh, which sounds like maybe the two of you didn't have a long-term compatibility. At least she didn't see the compatibility mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is love. Mm. And and so my guess is there was there was love there as well, but the compatibility wasn't there. And so for it to thrive long term, you have to have all three. And so instead of mourning that, which that's, again, outsourcing your power, right. it's simply reflecting and celebrating. Say, wow, I really enjoyed that for what it was as opposed to what I think it should be. Yeah, it's, I, it's, it's about 
finding the joy in it really yes is what i hear you saying yeah and so, so joy is something that is shared with other people right it's different mm-hmm. from pleasure and happiness and contentment in the sense that you can experience those things on your own but joy can be experienced only with other people either directly or indirectly even if you're on a deserted island you can experience joy by thinking about that wonderful two-week relationship sure. you had. Yeah. It's an indirect contact with the person. I will say one last thing about moving on because the question is also about moving on. Mm. In order to move on, we have to let go. Yeah. Uh, think about that. You can either think about it, uh, two different metaphors. One is a tether. If you're tethered to that relationship, it's impossible for you to move on, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But if you let go of the tether or the tether let go, let, lets go of you, or you can also think of it as baggage, right? If you're have enough baggage Mm -hmm. you can't carry it forward Mm. and so you can't move on until you let go of that baggage so the Mm -hmm. only way that we can move on from a relationship that was meaningful or even a relationship that wasn't meaningful the only way we can move on period is if we let go yeah Lisa has a question for us. She wants to know, why does society now promote canceling people? That is, why are we encouraged to get rid of friends instead of working through their challenges? This is a social media thing, I feel like. Okay. Um, I I agree with you. It is, um, that's a fake world. Mm. I mean, it it is not, there's nothing, I'm sorry, there's little real about social media. Mm. So... It's a hysterical version of the real world. Yeah, and the problem is that, you know, because everyone has access to a megaphone now, that people, they thrive. or mm-hmm. not, That's the wrong word. They, they really... They des- think they thrive. They think they thrive off of, like, using that megaphone as much as possible. It's pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's seeking the wrong type of pleasure. Yeah. So, I mean, I totally agree. The cancel culture sucks. Um, it, it really... T- to me, it highlights how we have this imaginary, you know, non-existent, perfect person or society or whatever it is. We have that. And as soon as it doesn't live up to that thought of perfection, we, we cancel it instead of growing with someone. Now, I think there are people who should absolutely be canceled, right? There are some predators. R. Kelly. Yeah. Right. Uh, Wein- Weinstein. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's like there are some... But not actu- Weinstein. Right, exactly. Not Weinstein, Weinstein. Um, yeah, no, there are people who should absolutely be canceled to be held ac- accountable for the hor- the horrible things that they have done. Ultimately, that's really it. It's it's Instead of canceling someone, is how do we hold them accountable? Now, I, mm, often, yeah. I often hear this, like, um, but w- what about a, a fair trial or... or uh, what about innocent until proven guilty? It's like, well, you don't actually want that. If you're just accused of, you know, if you're accused of being a creep, right? You don't want to go to trial for being a creep. Like, it's not innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. I, I also think that part of cancel culture is overblown in many respects because Ryan, you're absolutely right. The the people who are hysterical are hysterical, and and they're overblowing it on their own. You know, they're trying mm. to cancel everyone. But you can't cancel someone who doesn't let you cancel them, right? Mm. Like, you and I aren't cancelable. Now, we're not doing anything to be cancelled. Yeah. But if you dislike something, if you want to cancel us because we had Dave Ramsey in our last film and you dislike Dave Ramsey, uh, I get it. Like, people try to cancel him all the time. People try to cancel Erwin McManus. People try to cancel Dr. Nicole LaPera. People Mm. try to cancel these people. And you can't cancel me. You can't cancel Ryan 
because we've set ourselves up to be uncancelable. Mm-hmm. Um, even if, uh, like, I have a meeting with Netflix tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're pitching two new film ideas that Ryan and I are considering working on. And even with Netflix, like, if they, if someone were to go to them and, and get us canceled from Netflix, it doesn't matter. We, we made our first film before Netflix, yeah. and we can make plenty more films without Netflix. It's not required, right? right? These are just distribution channels. Mm-hmm. And if one distribution channel doesn't work, there are infinite other distribution channels now. Mm-hmm. And so being canceled, who is actually really being canceled? Quite often, it's people that you already, you mentioned, the people mm-hmm. who are being held accountable for rape okay great put them under the jail if if they raped someone Uh, and and so we the problem is we start to conflate these things you have someone who's accused of sexual assault or raping someone Mm -hmm. which is one of the worst things you could do is up there with murder right Mm -hmm. and and then you have Aziz Ansari who apparently is like bad at oral sex Mm -hmm. and you want to cancel him for that as well and it's like well wait a minute like no, he didn't actually get canceled. He has a new special. Now he was dragged through the mud, right? But how? And I'm sure that affected him terribly, right? Yeah. But why did it affect him? Because he outsourced that power. Mm. And, and and you know, you and I don't spend a lot of time on social media, and so it doesn't it doesn't affect me because if I don't see it. Remember, we did that episode a few weeks ago. Think the opposite, and mm. there was a picture of the professor who. He was skinny dipping in the river and these students, these grad students came by Mm -hmm. and he immediately put the blindfold over his eyes. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of what I do with social media. It's like, if I don't know what you're trying to say about me, then it doesn't matter because you're saying it not for me anyway. Now it's different with our patrons. Like they, they can give us constructive feedback, especially when we seek it out. But even then I don't have to listen to it. I don't, I, I can choose to not be affected by that mm-hmm. because if I need it, that's the only time I'm actually affected. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I do totally agree with the whole, you know, shouldn't we, um, how did, how did she word it here? Shouldn't we be encouraged? Uh, yeah. Instead of being encouraged to get rid of friends, you know, you, you, we should be encouraging people to work through their challenges. I mean, for me, Counseling instead of canceling. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, that's good. Counseling instead of canceling. Especially like when it comes to, you know, these uh, role models. I mean, I would rather, personally, I would rather have, and I do, would rather have a role model that has been through the thick of it, who has like really lived life, made all the mistakes, and has come out of it an enlightened person, a better person. Like that, to me, shows better character than someone who just has lived a perfect life their whole life. Yes, yeah, the, to to an extent. Right, I mean, to an extent, yeah. Jesus was like sort of the ultimate role model, and, and it, it was never about him living a perfect life, though. It was actually about him going through through it, right. so to speak, yeah, right? absolutely. Going through the valleys and, and spending time with the, the, the prostitutes and the poor and the impoverished and the sick mm. and the, the sort of the edges of society, right? Yeah. And, and that, it wasn't about living in perfection and the king with the crown and all. No, 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 no. It was about his, uh, because regardless of whether or not he lived a perfect, uh, you know, holy life or whatever, that, that's not the point. The point is that, that his life was a, a sort of a template mm. that showed, oh, it's not about the things that we think life is about. It's not about the achievement, the success. Because, uh, I mean, 
think if if he is indeed the son of God, mm. then why not have the gold crown and the limousine equivalents and all of these other things? Yeah. Well, because life isn't about that. Eternity isn't even about that. Yeah. Now is it's the eternal now, mm. and and yeah, heaven is right here in front of us. And unfortunately, we've turned it into hell with social media and the canceling mm. and everything else. Yeah. JC has a question for us. If you already have friends outside of work. Is there still value in finding and maintaining friendships with coworkers? The short answer is sure. Like it depends, right? Right. I mean, there, I'm not going to say yes, you should or, or no, you shouldn't. But what I will say is I have learned, uh, well, my grandma used to always say, uh, don't shit where you eat. Mm. And uh, she was specifically talking about dating coworkers. Mm -hmm. But the same thing can be said with friendships. Mm -hmm. Because if all of a sudden that relationship um, Sours. Yeah. As, as soon as it, then now you have a, not only do you have a soured relationship, but now you have a very uncomfortable situation at work. Right. And so uh, be careful around that. Understand that's sort of the price of admission. If you do, because, because here's the thing, it depends on what we mean by friendship, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, you will have, if you're working with someone every day or, or semi-regularly, you're going to have a relationship. What you call it, whether it's a coworker or acquaintance or whatever, you're essentially friends for lack of a better term, right? Yeah. And, and so you can get hyper specific on the definition, but you're spending a lot of time with this person. And all of a sudden they're in, they've moved in from your periphery to your secondary relationships. And I think what we're talking about here is how close do we want to let those people get to us, right? Yeah. And if we let them in too soon, we're worried that they'll hurt us or whatever. But again, they'll only hurt you if you give them permission to hurt you. Yeah. Karen has a question for us. Um, how do I gracefully tell friends, no, I can't help you with that. I already have a full plate. And how do I tactfully but firmly decline social invitations? I had a friend reach out to me. It was like this new friendship that was blooming in Los, in Los Angeles. Uh, it's, it's a couple that Mariah and I hang out with. Yeah. And, you know, it, we probably were, you know, just really Wait, you start other friends. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think about you the whole time. <laughs> I told you I wouldn't have any other friends. <laughs> so, um, you know, he came to me and he said, uh, Hey man, I'd really love to start doing this like online course with you or something. You know, he was like pitching this, like, um, it wasn't a business idea as much as it was like forming a community. Yeah. And I very lovingly and tactfully said, I'm like, Hey man, I really appreciate your friendship. Mm -hmm. And it means a lot to me that I come to mind with, with this idea, but I really have to say no to a lot of things in order for me to be able to say yes to the things that matter most. So this is one of those things that I'd love to say yes to, but unfortunately I have to say no to so I can say yes to everything else. Yes. And he like, there was, you know, some time had passed and like this conversation came up and he had thanked me for like being honest with him yes. in, in a very direct, respectful way. Right. So, you know, going back to those ingredients of what does good relationship make? Well, good conversation also, if you have some love, respect, and understanding. If, you're, if that's your context, if that's what you're focusing on during these difficult situations, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Uh, the only 
the only thing I'll say is like sometimes you do that and people will still look at offended or, you know, no matter how loving or understanding or how respectful you are, they may get a little angry at you, react a certain way. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing your job and you're holding that context, you can honestly look in the mirror and and say, you know, that's unfortunately that's not me. That's that's that person. I have to let that go. There's a question here that Julie asked about how do uh, I address anxiety regarding being ghosted? Yes. You know, it's up, it's up to, this is a very similar thing. It's like, that's that, the person ghosting, that's on them. Yes. It's not on me. I've been ghosted before. Yeah, me too. And uh, actually very recently um, with respect to the new studio that we're moving into, I was trying to work with someone to help us with the aesthetics of it. And for whatever, for whatever reason, he's like, yeah, I'd love to love the minimalist. Sounds great. And then nothing yeah and 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 so well what can i do i can be disappointed but even then that's part of an expectation right Mm -hmm. i can be offended now i'm choosing to be offended now let's say i do something that offends someone let's say i wear a yellow shirt Mm. and that offends someone this is an obvious parodic example here but Mm -hmm. will illustrate the absurdity of offending someone right now let's say you're offended by my yellow shirt yeah is that my problem or yours exactly exactly and it's funny because I, the saying comes to mind a lot for me, especially in these crazy social media megaphone, this crazy yeah world we live in today. Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Oh, yes. And uh, that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And, and sometimes, look, we always, I always personally want to hold a mirror to myself. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask myself, am I doing what I can to be as loving as possible? Am mm-hmm. I doing what I can to be as respectful as possible? Am I doing what I can to show that I understand where that person is? Am I doing all of those things? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once I can look in the mirror and be like, no, Ryan, you really went out of your way for this. Um, that's where I can then not throw my hands in the air, but I can, you know, respectfully uh, appreciate the differences, but also appreciate that maybe I shouldn't spend any more time with that person. And if they're offended, they're not really offended. What they are is they're opinioned. Mm. Think about that for a second. So the yellow shirt, getting back to the yellow shirt analogy here. If I came in here wearing a yellow shirt and that offended you, mm-hmm. now it could be that you dislike it. You have, it's your opinion that you dislike it. That's, that's different. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. You dislike wearing that, um, or me wearing it. You're allowed to dislike it. Yeah. But if you're offended, what you're saying is Josh shouldn't wear that yellow shirt. Right. And now all of a sudden you're creating a rule that doesn't exist in nature. Mm-hmm. It exists in your head and now you're trying to impose it on me. That is not loving. So anytime someone gets offended, they aren't being loving. They might mistake it for love because they're not giving you their approval. But approval isn't loving mm. either. Yeah. Ellen has a question for us. How can I get rid of a friend whom I cannot ignore? I mean, even if I wanted to, they come back in my life with all of the apologies and I don't want to forgive them, but my heart melts when they say they're sorry. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so let's let's I think we can break this down sort of one section at a time here. Yeah. How can I get rid of a friend whom I cannot ignore? I mean, so so there are several reasons why you could not ignore the person. One is you work in the cubicle next to them. Right. Or you're forced to, to work with them. And, and so in that case, 
you would have to find a way to distance yourself if you actually want to get rid of that relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, that would mean you can't get them fired, so you'd have to try to find a new job or new assignment, a new position in the company, something like that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, or maybe it's at your church or local gathering that you go to. And, well, then you choose to sit somewhere else, right? Or maybe if it's, if it's a small group gathering, then you're going to have to decide. Remember in Fight Club when um, – the main character sort of going to all these support groups like oh, the yeah. testicular cancer group <laughs> and then Marlo was showing up at the testicular cancer group and he's like, hey, like, he's trying to avoid her. Yeah. And what he realizes is that like the only way to avoid her really is to accept her. Mm. And, and so part of the, you can accept someone without having to constantly engage with them. Mm -hmm. I think of Kapil Gupta whenever someone like tries to argue with him on like one of his clubhouses or somewhere, mm -hmm. or even during an interview, mm -hmm. he'll just say, I understand. Yeah. And, and at first you're like, well, wait, like, no, argue back with me. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, it, arguing back with you is not loving. Right. It may s seem unloving at first, be unkind, Mm-hmm. Because, but sometimes kindness isn't even loving. Sometimes kindness is just placating someone. Yeah. Usually love will spur kindness, mm -hmm. but sometimes it spurs a firmness that is necessary in that relationship. Yeah. Let's move around a bit here. We have a question here at the bottom from Ray. How do you make new friends in your 30s or 40s? It's not as effort. It's not as effortless as it was when we were younger and didn't have all of life's responsibilities. What's funny here is we tell ourselves this. We, we make up this narrative. The good old days. Yeah. When it was I, easier back then. Right. It was yeah. always easier. It was, but it was also harder. Yeah. And, and, and Ooh, so yeah. We, we are looking at a 3D world in 2D. Mm -hmm. It's the Norman Rockwell painting. That's nostalgia. Yeah. It creates that 2D version of our past self. Oh, it was so easy. It was the hardest to make friends in high school. Remember how difficult it was because you were so, an outsider and yeah. it was so difficult. And you're forced to choose from only so many people. Right. So, yeah, in a lot of ways it is it is more difficult. Yeah, I would tell you now, I've had I've met more I've incorporated more meaningful relationships in my life now that I'm I'm I'll be 40 next month. Uh, and in the last 10 years, so since I turned 30, mm -hmm. than my first 30 years. You are like the one big exception from that. Right. Sean, I knew from the corporate world, but even now our relationship is considerably different from what it was in the corporate world. In, in the relation, our relationship in the corporate world, I, for whatever reason, was in a power, a position of power, right? And now we have, we work together. It's not that like, oh, you we're, we're do this, do that, whatever. No, it's like we work together. Mm -hmm. And, and what I've realized is like, I don't want, power i want freedom and yeah. i don't want to take other people's freedom as well yeah now, ultimately i'll have veto power on something if it's like well i want to write the sentence this way and sean wants to write the sentence that way okay mm -hmm. well uh, i'm going to make the final decision on how i write my sentence yeah but i'm also not going to tell him how to make the final decision on how he writes his sentence right, right? And, and so uh, what i've realized is that oh as soon as they got clear on my values by the way, we have a free values worksheet, uh, theminimalists.com the slash V. Mm -hmm. You can download it there for free. As soon as I got clear of my values, and so let's talk about the four types of values real quick, Ryan. Mm -hmm. we have, we're building a house. You have a foundation, mm -hmm. then you have structural values, so mm -hmm. foundational values, structural values, surface values, mm -hmm. sort of the walls, the drywall, and the paint. Yeah, a piece of art on the wall. Yeah, the things that make your home beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
And then you have the imaginary values. That's mm. like putting a giant fence around your house that doesn't have a door, and now you can't get in the house. Yeah. You've ruined your other values with the imaginary values. Mm. We rarely ever stop to think about our values. Whenever we do, we usually think about our imaginary values. Oh, I really want that car. That Lexus would make me so much happier. Yeah. Dude, I want that Viking, that $15,000 Viking stove. Yeah. I didn't even know you could spend so much on a stove. Wow. I know. It's unbelievable, man. But that is an imaginary value. Like, you don't need a $15,000 Viking stove mm -hmm. to cook a good meal. Right. And, and not that there's anything wrong with owning of that. Of course not. It's not immoral to own it. But it's also not something that you need to let your happiness or contentment be contingent on. Exactly. And so when we look at our values, quite often we're spending all this time with all these people who don't share our values. Mm. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong and you're right. It means there's a lack of compatibility. And as we said, and I think it's the hardest part of the, that, that triad, the re relationship has chemistry, compatibility, and love. Love is easy when you have awareness. When you open your eyes and see and don't try to change people, it's easy to be loving. And it makes life so much easier. Chemistry is easy because you are attracted to someone either sexually or intellectually. Mm -hmm. There's a chemistry there, right? Uh, or you just have a dynamic together. You and I have a dynamic uh, on the podcast, yeah. right? There's a lot of sexual tension between <laughs> us. You can cut it with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> but what we really have is some compatibility. Yeah. Now, you might say, well, wait, that doesn't, or does it mean you guys have the same personalities? No. In fact, in Love People Use Things, we write about how we have polar opposite um, uh, personalities, mm. but we have the same foundational values. Right. And we even have similar, not the same, we have similar structural values. So our house is sort of arranged similarly, but then our surface values are totally different. Yeah. And that's what makes life interesting. You can look at your surface values sort of like your preferences. Yes. We have different preferences. Right. You can look at your your structural values as your interests. You can even have different interests. We have similar interests, mm -hmm. but then we have different interests. Yeah. That's what makes life interesting and passionate. If we were exactly the same in mm -hmm. every respect, then you would lose that that sort of dynamic that back and forth. You would yeah. just have a, a twin with the same personality. Totally agree. You know, to answer Ray's question head on, uh, how do you make friends regardless of what age you are? Um, you have to put yourself out there. I mean, you really have to uh, go out of your way to associate with more people. So how do you do that? You can join a bowling league. You can go to meetup.com and you can see what different things are happening in your neighborhood, in your city, and you can go meet some new people. Mm -hmm. You can go to a place like minimalist.org, mm -hmm. and you can just go to the online city. Mm -hmm. And there is a, uh, like you said earlier, Josh, thousands of people mm -hmm. who are on this uh, in this group. So, you know, the, the, the ultimate answer, because, Ray, I could sit here and list another 20 different ways to go make friends, but you have to put yourself out there. And I think one of the hardest things uh, that people face and maybe this is what Ray is facing, is, you know, for the 10 people you go and hang out with, you might have one person that is a, uh, th th that might make a good friend to you. You yeah. might have zero right. out of the first 10 people you hang out with. So you have to accept the fact that you're not going to click with everyone. Even if, and the worst is like the rejection where maybe I get along with you, but you're like, yeah, I don't really like hanging out with that Ryan guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's even worse, but... Yes. Right, you have to go out there. You have to put yourself out there. You have to be uh, a little vulnerable, as Brene Brown would say. Mm -hmm. You got to like really embrace that vulnerability when you're going out and and making uh, new friendships. Yes, 
I could see where you don't have, you know, in my 40s, I mean, I still have the energy to go make friends, but I imagine in my 50s, 60s, like I'm going to have less energy to put into filtering through a lot of people to make new friends. Um, I understand there's some obstacles, but you have you have to put yourself out there, Ray. Let's let's just get clear on one thing. You are complete without these friends. Mm, amen. And and so needing friends is the perfect way to avoid establishing meaningful relationships. Yeah. Because needing someone is not love, it is clinging. Mm-hmm. And when you think of the 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 just the the sort of visual image of clinging that doesn't feel like love ever it feels suffocating yeah right and so you are complete in an empty room you are complete without friends you don't need the friends to make you happy you don't need them to make you content you certainly don't need them for peace or tranquility you don't need them now a thriving relationship a meaningful relationship can aid those things for sure Mm -hmm. it is not a requirement now with that said ask yourself what do you want it's not a friendship Mm. because you can get a friendship anywhere what do you actually want what what are you really looking for Mm. and what is your ideal friendship are you looking for a significant other are you looking for a partner are you looking for someone to go bowling with Mm -hmm. these are different things what do you want and if you can get hyper specific on what you want when you want it how long you want it how that is going to not get in the way of your tranquility Mm -hmm. if you can determine that you're not looking for a friendship even. You're looking for individual qualities and personalities that match you and augment, amplify, enhance your experience of life as opposed to getting in the way of your peace. Yeah. Let's do a few more questions here. We got some time. Yeah. Did we do Larissa's question? How do we interact with toxic former friends? we run into at social functions. So you run into someone, and I have had this happen with exes specifically. Okay. I go out of my way to be kind, to be respectful, Mm -hmm. to be understanding, to be loving. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it seems like a lot of our answers, or at least a lot of my answers, keep coming down to this. Go out of your way to show love, go out of your way to show kindness, go out of your way to show respect, and very rarely is someone going to be dissatisfied with how you're treating them. Yes. Um, yeah. At the bare bare minimum, be cordial. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and don't escalate anything if they're trying to. Right. Oh yeah. I, I can think of a few oh, people man, who cordial. would escalate something if I were to see them at, at some sort of event. Yeah. And I would avoid those people if, but if I didn't know that they were going to be there, all of a sudden I saw them. I would be cordial, mm-hmm. and I'd probably be short with the person, and I because I'm not trying to, to. Uh, reestablish a relationship right. with them. Yeah. Also realize that toxicity in a one context in a relationship, it doesn't mean that they were toxic or you were toxic. It might have meant the interaction between the two of you was toxic. It's a great point. And so like when you have two you know, Bunsen burners that have different chemicals in them and then you put them together and it creates this explosion, 
that's sort of what toxicity is it can be individually your individual components are completely fine but when you get together with that person it creates a toxic relationship a toxic environment mm -hmm. well how do you avoid that you don't intermingle them and so in a different context a social context where you're not as closely involved with each other you can be cordial without it actually being a toxic relationship mm, yeah the worst thing you could do is escalate the situation yeah uh, jillian has a question for us how to have both parties take initiative in the communication i've got one friend i travel and hang out with but only when i initiate she's horrible about reading texts and receiving calls she forgets to respond Okay, so this is almost the flip side of the, the ghosting. It's the yeah. unintentional ghosting. Right. Ghosting maybe is maybe intentional, right? Which I think no one owes you a response. I think it, it is an unfortunate thing that has happened in our society where mm. uh, we've gotten, especially people younger than us, I've noticed it's like they're afraid of any sort of confrontation. Mm. But, of course, confrontation always what you're doing is you're you're waiting till Godzilla is taking over the city mm -hmm. as opposed to Godzilla is a, a tiny little egg squish the egg right now it's it's not the easiest thing to do it's a giant egg mm. but it's easier than when he's taking over the city and now you're trying to fight Godzilla yeah and and so how do you how do you handle this basically um, well Yes, your friend is horrible about reading texts and receiving calls. Now, I'd probably use different language it, uh, because what you're doing, you've created a value judgment. You're mm. saying, I expect this person to respond to my call right. or respond to my text. So who do those expectations fall on, really? Yes. Yeah, and so um, it can be frustrating, but what this means, and you could even have a conversation with, with the person. Now, mm -hmm. Godzilla is larger at this point now. Mm -hmm. You could say, hey... Um, I know you have trouble responding to, to texts. Is there, is there a better way for me to communicate with you? Mm -hmm. and, and understand like, oh yeah, you know what? It'd be so much easier. In fact, our, I'm dealing with our insurance agent right now mm. and they've been trying to get me on the phone. I'm just like, I've got so much going on this week. Uh, I don't want to be busy. And if, you, if I schedule an appointment with you, I'm going to be busy. Mm. And so uh, it's best to handle this via email. I had to tell them that three times because sometimes mm. they don't hear it the first time. Mm. And so I say it the second time and they don't hear it the second time best to handle this via email. I said it in caps the third time. Mm. And, and finally, they were like, okay, I, I get it. And so what I was doing is saying, well, this is the best way to communicate with me right now. Mm -hmm. And what you're realizing is maybe this friend has a better way for you to communicate with them. Yeah, and it's that's a great a, point. Yeah, it's not via text message. Maybe text is the worst way to communicate with them. Mm. And so think about that. Is there a better way to communicate with them? There's also a really good book called Nonviolent Communication Ooh. that you can check out. I quote uh, a bit of it in Love People Use Things. Sean has a question. You, you know, one thing I will say, Jillian, is oh. if you expect the best out of your friends, for me personally, I don't think I've ever been uh, disappointed expecting the best out of someone, meaning giving them the benefit of the doubt. So, yeah. <clears throat> if not your best, their best. Exactly. Yes. So what you know what Jillian is doing is like, oh, you know, she's horrible. She doesn't obviously doesn't care about me. Obviously, but you know, Jillian, maybe you could tell your thing your, yourself uh, some things like. Well, my friend, I know that, you know, they have a very uh, busy schedule. Um, I know that because uh, so, sometimes I'll be in a text conversation. S someone sends me a text. Um, I go to a different screen and then the notification's gone. 
Mm. So I don't realize they actually sent me a new text. Yeah. So you that know, happens to me all the time. Yeah. It's like, I wish oh, there was a way to leave it unread. I know, right? Or to go market unread. I know. You know what I do now? You know, I've got my today list. Mm-hmm. So if I get a text, like I got a text this weekend from Malcolm Fontier, mm-hmm. and I got another text from our uh, literary agent, Mark, mm-hmm. and then I got another text from yet a third person I can't remember right now, mm-hmm. but I just put it on my today list. So I say, uh, respond to Mark's text. Oh, so you can get back and to it. It might be the next day or two days later. Mm-hmm. And it could even be a simple thank you, but I, I want to take the time to, to acknowledge them. Mm. And so because I was getting bad, like there was just too many texts that were coming in, and now I'm getting spam texts, which is oh my gosh. the worst. It's crazy. Hey, r- so, reminder, don't ever do- donate to a politician ever. Yeah, right. It will ru- you have will to never change your you phone alone. number. Hey, I wish there was a question. How can I get politicians to stop contacting <laughs> me? Let's see. Uh, we already answered right. Sean's question, Terry's question, Miriam's question, mm. Joan's question. Um, existing. Mm, we uh, still have. The, we I think we kind of answered that yeah, one. What about Annie here? Yeah, let's answer Annie's question. What do you do when you've become a utility friend? That is a friend that is only contacted when friends need your help this is actually similar to um jillian's question in the sense that she's the one that always has to reach out i guess it's the opposite they only reach out when they need something right yeah. so so while i want to love people and use things mm-hmm. i also acknowledge that many relationships are transactional people behave transactionally yeah that's where the the title of this book comes from is you know, the the epilogue here at the beginning is or epigraph sorry is um from two people archbishop fulton j sheen said you must remember to love people and use things rather than to love things and use people and then drake saying wish you would learn to love people and use things and not the other way around and and recognizing that most people even me and ryan have and may even slip up and do it in the future accidentally turning relationships transactional using people mm-hmm. now also i recognize that even if i don't do that and, and i don't think i've done it for a, a long period of time now but even if i don't there will be people who try to use me yeah but guess what let me reframe that for a second that means i'm useful <laughs> right absolutely and i like being useful i don't want to have to be useful but what does that mean oh i'm adding value to people's lives yeah you've become a utility why what's a utility utilities add value to utilize something means to use it in a way other than it was originally intended mm. and and so if you are being utilized what it really means is they're finding ways that you're adding value to their life and as long Which as you great yeah, as long as you feel good yeah. about the contribution, then it's, it gives you the ability to contribute beyond yourself. The, the real question is, Annie, what are you getting out of those interactions? Because I, I'm a giver. I love to give. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are a, a lot of people that reach out to me only when they need something. And often I'm very happy to give because giving actually does something for me. Right. It, so, and that's what we often mistake like there's some sort of absolute altruism right mm-hmm. and that's part of it, it sure it's the giving is giving to someone else but it it does make you feel good mm. and the more you give the more you grow the more you grow the more you have to give mm. it's a self-fertilizing cycle and the more i give without an expectation of getting something back yeah the more i can focus on that the less i am let down you know the less that um the less that I, I, I regret helping someone who just needs help. I mean, I, so yeah, Annie, just ask yourself, what are you getting out of the, out of giving someone? If you're, if you're feeling used, 
and you're not getting anything out of that relationship and it's exhausting you, then it's okay to say no. Yes. It's okay to, t- I mean, friends ask me to move and I'm like, no, like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I, I have a horrible back. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent most of my twenties moving friends and family and, um, I, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks towards a, <laughs> towards the movers, you know, right. I would much rather do that, right. than Throw my back out. Mm-hmm. And it, by the way, it doesn't mean that it's that you should say no. It means that you have the choice to say yes or no. And quite yeah. often we say yes because it's the easy route. It, but it obligates our future self. So it's actually the hard route. It's taking the easy right, route right now, but then around the bend are snakes and objects and mm. hurdles and obstacles and explosions. All of these things are going on around the bend, but man, the path looks really nice right here because it's easy to say yes. Now, it's just like scheduling something on your calendar. It's like, well, yeah, yeah I'll just uh, do that n- next month on the 23rd. And all of a sudden, I, now I've obligated my future self to doing something because it was easy for me to say yes to it in the moment. Yeah. Really, I was saying no to it right now so I could say yes to it in the future. I was forcing myself to do something. Mm -hmm. And what I like about what your approach is, when you talked earlier about you had a friend who was like, hey, I'd like to work on this uh, mentorship or community thing or whatever it is with you and this program, and you told them no – it's also telling them that, hey, it's it's not personal. You're also saying, here's what I say yes to. And quite often I say, you know, I really wish I had the time to work on more, but Ryan and I tend to work on one major project a year, mm-hmm. and we're all, we've already picked our project for 2021 and 2022. Right. And so that's a way for me to say, here's what I'm saying yes to. I'm not saying no to you. Mm-hmm. I'm saying yes to this thing that I've already identified as meaningful. In order for me to say no to that, I, I would have to now set that on uh, aside and say no to it. Mm-hmm. So it would have to be so compelling that you're saying, well, Josh, you're going to have to say no to making that next film so you can say yes to whatever this other thing is. Yeah. Let's wrap up with Katya's question. Katya, what friendships did you let go of as you got closer to your partners? I like this question, Ryan, because, hmm. um, well, at first I, I read it as, well, it presupposes as though you're supposed to let go of old friendships because now you're with your significant other and mm. and and maybe that also means like well you're not allowed to talk to your former lovers or anything like that i would never tell bex what she is allowed to do or not allowed to do right it's not for me to determine no i mean you can talk about your preferences you're right and but even then uh, i want to talk about it in a way where it's like hey if it's my preference that you don't talk to a former lover mm. That's my. That's a problem I have. Yeah. I, 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 I'd rather work through that problem sure. than even say, well, here's a preference that uh, requires you to change in yeah. some way. What this question made me think of is like when I started getting serious with Mariah, there were friends that like I just hung out with less because I was spending so much time with Mariah mm-hmm. and her and I, uh, we did a good job of like going, I mean, like I would just bring her to go hang out with friends, but there were some friends that we just hung out less because I had to make more room for her. Right. And they totally understood that. I mean, they kind of gave me a hard time, like jokingly when I would see them. Uh-huh. Cause I still saw them every once in a while, just less. Um, but you know, ultimately they supported me because they loved me. They saw how happy I was. Yeah. So any good friend, is going to go out of their way to support your tranquility. Yes. And if they're not, then they're probably not that good of a friend to begin with. That's a great point. I think it's a perfect place to wrap up here. 
Thank you so much. Yes. We love you. We respect you. Yes. We understand you. We appreciate you. And uh, we're really grateful. I can't wait to show you this new studio as soon as we're able to get in there. It's going to be beautiful. Can't wait to show you love people use things as well. We're getting so close to that. All right, y'all. Love people use things. We'll see you next time. See you, patrons. The Minimalists. <laughs>